This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. And a lot of people said, oh, WWE would never sell as long as Vince is here. As long as Vince is alive, that's the way it was usually phrased. Not as long as he was here, but as long as he was alive. Well, now we know it's not a matter of life or death. Vince just isn't here now. He's gone. That does make it very, I don't know, possible in my mind as a wrestling fan to think, okay, well, maybe they will sell. And I think it'll happen sooner rather than later. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, it's a returning guest. He's always excellent, and um, even if you're not a professional wrestling fan, what Conrad Thompson does and the business that he has built extends far beyond it. So if you're in the, if you're interested in podcasting, this is somebody that you can learn a lot from. Conrad Thompson is the preeminent wrestling podcast host in the United States. And at the moment, the promoter of Ric Flair's last match, which features 11 matches from promotions across the globe. It will air July 31st on pay-per-view and fight TV from the fairgrounds in Nashville, Tennessee. Conrad Thompson is the son-in-law of Ric Flair. He married Megan Flair, who is uh, one of Ric Flair's daughters, um, Charlotte Flair, her stage name. Uh, in real life, Ashley Flair is another one of Ric Fleer's daughters, and uh, that would probably be the one that you'd know, obviously, if you're a professional wrestler, Charlotte Flair, one of the, the more famous uh, people in that organization. So it's an interesting conversation we have, and we certainly get to Vince McMahon retiring from the WWE. We discuss how the promotion for Ric Flair's match came together. This is very new for Conrad. He's not a wrestling promoter, but that is what he has become for this match, um, creating wrestling conventions, which he has done and has another one, StarCast 5, in, in Nashville. And that's just kind of a fascinating sub-world. Sub Talk about how pro wrestling talent gets booked. What uh, doctors are saying about a 73-year-old man, which is Ric Flair being part of a wrestling show. How he views Vince McMahon stepping down from his job as the company's board investigates allegations of misconduct against Vince McMahon, the hush money payments, and... What we think will happen when it comes to WWE, I, I think we're both in agreement that, I shouldn't say I think, we are both in agreement that at a certain point WWE will sell, and you'll hear that conversation as well. So Conrad Thompson, solo guest, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, this gentleman's been on this podcast many, many times. Today, Jesus Christ, I have a lot to promote because there's so much going on in his life. Conrad Thompson is a preeminent wrestling podcast host in the United States. He's also a mortgage broker, his day job. 
And at the moment, he is the promoter of Ric Flair's last match, which features 11 matches from promotions around the globe. Will air Sunday, July 31st from the fairgrounds in Nashville, Tennessee. You can get this event, uh, and Connor, you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this information, in the United States on pay-per-view and on Fight TV. Elsewhere in the world, we, I know we have a lot of Canadians listening to this, you can get it on Fight TV. The show's main event, you probably read about this, is Ric Flair and his son-in-law, the wrestler Andrade, taking on AEW star Jay Lethal and WWE Hall of Famer, WWE executive, one-time guest on this podcast, Jeff Jarrett. So Conrad is promoting this really interesting independent wrestling card, which a lot of people in the business say might be the card of the year outside of the the big boys. And then on top of that, he's promoting StarCast, which has been his long uh, wrestling convention. That's in Nashville, too, on the 29th, the 30th, and the 31st. And StarCast has some unbelievable stuff from, like, the roast of Ric Flair. He's got, like, Matt Hardy coming in to talk. He's got our buddy Renee Paquette talking to... um, Brian Danielson. I mean, that is like a whole three-day experience for Lestering fans as well. Okay, so before I formally bring him in, Jesus Christ, Conrad, I remember writing about you when you had one small podcast with a dude named Bruce Pritchard. And now you're dealing with seating charts and productions and like lighting. So welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. But I mean, you must not even believe your own life at the moment. Yeah, man, I, I looked around and asked myself, why do I keep doing this to myself? You know, we started a podcast and, and it expanded off into another and another and another. And now I have a, a network where there's over a dozen shows on it and I'm still doing the mortgage gig. As I'm talking to you now, I'm at my mortgage office and I decided to do another wrestling convention. Unbelievably, this will be our fifth one, StarCast 5. And we've got maybe the best panels that we've ever had. I mean, we've got Bret Hart and Kevin Nash and Mick Foley and uh, the Horseman. Nobody ever thought that would happen. Claudio Castagnoli, Johnny Gargano, Paige for the first time with a wrestling mic. And I mean, just on and on and on. There's so much. But then the roaster Ric Flair is kind of the main event of the entire uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday wrestling convention piece. But the only way to make it bigger is to run, hopefully, as you said, knock on wood, the biggest non-WWE AEW wrestling show of the year. Rick Flair's last match. And uh, to be invited onto your program, man, I'm having like the best week ever. Yeah, I, this is such a game changer for you, Conrad. Relax. Um, so, uh, again, indulge me on this because I, I am fascinated by this, but obviously I'm never going to be in this world. When you want to try to bring a Bret Hart in or Kevin Nash, Matt Hardy, or someone like Renee, my guess, just my educated guess, is you either deal with them or their agents there's some kind of price, like they have a like a fee for their time on a day or a weekend. You as a promoter probably pay for their travel or hotel, like without obviously giving away like how much you're paying for a singular person. Could you just let my audience know how that works? Because this, like sort of the convention part of this is pretty fascinating to me. Well, normally what we do is I reach out to someone and ask if they're available on certain dates. And uh, once I know that they're available, I'll present them an opportunity to say, hey, I would like to have you come in and and do meet and greets with fans, which is exactly what it sounds like. Pictures and autographs, you know, maybe a baseball card show or something like that. But I also kind of sounds bragging, but I, I guess I innovated in the space. We'll do panel discussions. Now, I didn't create that. That already existed with Comic Cons and things like that. But. Wrestling, by and large, never really did that. 
but what I thought was, hey, this was an opportunity to get a, a great collection of talent under the same roof and give them something to do uh, like all day long. I, I've been to some other conventions where it's like, okay, you make a pass through the floor and then what? So, you know, if you see what, what action figures or comic books or old magazines or posters or whatever you might be a collector for, you scour that and then maybe you pre-ordered, you wanted to meet, you know, a former NWA champion here or a tag champion there or whatever, and you grab your two pictures, you see if there's anybody else you'd be like to meet, but then after that, you're kind of done. And I thought, well, I don't really want that to happen. I want to create a community. I want this to be a destination. I want wrestling fans to have something to do and hang out. So I sort of leaned on the idea of what if it was like a music festival, but just as niche as it sounds for hardcore wrestling nerds, like my, my, me and you, or you and I, I'll get it right. Uh, the, the way to do it is let's do panel discussions, sort of like to do at Comic-Con. So what we wind up doing is reaching out to these wrestlers and making an offer and saying, uh, Mr. Danielson, I would like for you to do meet and greets and then do a panel discussion. And we're thinking so-and-so as a host, and it would go 75 minutes or so. You guys can talk about whatever topics you want. We provide uh, some researchers who could you know, help you put together a show format and, and a run sheet, sort of, if you will. And then we can have Q&A from the crowd, if you would like, to close that panel discussion. But then if you're a big fan of, say, Brian Danielson, you get to get your, your poster signed that you've had in your house for a long time. And you can go pick up that new Funko Pop or that new action figure and have him autograph that. Uh, get your picture made with him. And then what do you know? You're going to get to hear him tell you stories for 75 minutes. But it's not a separately ticketed event because as soon as he's off the stage, well, here comes Claudio Castagnoli. And as soon as the, he's gone, well, here come the whole horseman. And after that, well, here comes Bret Hart talking about SummerSlam 92. So I just wanted there to be something for everybody. And part of that, I guess, grew from Bruce and I going out and doing live shows. So before a big pay-per-view for years and years, Bruce and I would find a venue like a comedy club or what have you. And we would encourage wrestling fans who were in town for the big wrestling show. Hey, before you go to the matches, why don't you come hear some old wrestling stories and get your picture with a guy who helped write a lot of those stories that you grew up loving. So all I've done here is just take that idea and multiply it. So instead of saying, we're going to do that for one talent. Well, now we're going to do that for 30 talents and, and make a, a two or three day event. And so now wrestling fans can have a real destination because if you're coming to Nashville for SummerSlam outside of Saturday afternoon for four or five hours, sitting in the hundred percent humidity, thunderstorm, outdoor stadium, sweating your ass off. What are you going to do the rest of the time? Why don't you come on over to the air conditioning Meet some of your favorite wrestlers who used to be on WWE, some Hall of Famers, some legends, some top stars from other promotions. Get your pictures, get your autographs, hear some cool stories, and hang out with, you know, a collection, a community of wrestling fans. Because I've met some of my very, very best friends in wrestling at wrestling conventions. We hit it off at the uh, Fan Fest in Charlotte in 2013, and we've been friends to this day. Like, I talk to those guys on a daily basis. We don't have almost anything in common. Uh, you know, in our line of work or our belief system or anything like that. But boy, we like the same type of wrestling. And a lot of wrestling fans, myself included, we don't have a lot of local wrestling fans. Like, I, as a result, my best wrestling fans, I live in Alabama. They, my best wrestling friends live in Connecticut and Virginia and Vermont. They don't live right here in Huntsville, Alabama. But I get to share that passion with them. And 
right now, I'm thankful to say that Sarcast has kind of become a destination for a lot of folks like that. All right. So th- that's really, thank you for uh, the background of that. So there's a couple of things that immediately pop up to me. Um, you are not an event planner by trade, by any means. You're a mortgage broker by trade. So to pull off these kind of events, Conrad, I mean, I'm ballparking it. You need dozens of people just as a staff, yeah. just on logistics yeah. and security and things like that. So how did you get educated on everything that goes with putting a convention in place in a in a major American city? Uh, well, it's just uh, trying real hard. I know that sounds silly, but it's like where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, I, I found out who was helping with some of these other conventions, and I reached out to them and said, hey, if you were me, who would you bring in? Who would you hire? And so, you know, the, the guys who helped put together my stage shows, their full-time gig is they work in news stations. Uh, so those 24-7 news stations, I probably shouldn't say which ones, but they're producers on those programs. And, and the folks who are handling the meet and greets, they have a crew of folks who go to these different conventions around the country. So I, I didn't sort of reinvent the wheel. I just went and tried to hire and recruit the best. And along the way, we did find some volunteers who just really had a passion for what we were doing and wanted to learn. And, and now I'm thankful that, you know, as we're doing our fifth one, we've got a whole lot of quote unquote staff uh, who have been with us at all five events. So as I've gotten more acclimated uh, and a little more organized, because if I'm honest with you, uh, the first StarCast, while everybody else had a great time and called it the Woodstock of Wrestling, it is the worst weekend of my life. Uh, I mean, it was so stressful. I was so overwhelmed. I have a saying sometimes that'll make sense, maybe. I don't know what I don't know. And so I just didn't, I mean, I, you need me to set up a mortgage office? Got it. You need me to get together a marketing campaign for that mortgage office, whether it's grassroots or on broadcast, whether it's radio, TV, got it. You need me to do a wrestling podcast, got it. How do I organize a line for meet and greets with stanchions and tickets and scanners and printers and sharp? I don't know. So you just try real hard, and eventually, you know, through trial and error, you get a little better. And uh, one was pretty tough, two was pretty tough, three was a breeze, four was a breeze, and well, I don't want to jinx myself, so I'm knocking on some wood here. I think five is going to be our biggest, the best one yet, and maybe the easiest. Boy, I hope I didn't ruin my life right there with that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get to the flare uh, card in a, in a second. You you mentioned at the top there are how many podcasts now are officially part of your podcast network? Uh, I think the answer is 15, and we've got three that we're launching. So by the end of the summer, there'll be 18. Have you announced the three yet? They're not in the wrestling space. The two newest in the wrestling space are uh, Kevin Nash's Click This and uh, Mick Foley's Foley is Pod and uh, William Regal's Gentleman, uh, Gentleman Villain. So I've spun off three new ones fairly recently. Earlier in the year, uh, we did The Wives of Wrestling and The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Uh, so we've launched a lot of new shows, but uh, as far as ones that I'm on on a regular basis, uh, it's still probably uh, Jeff Jarrett. And then, oh, I guess DDP and Jake the Snake Roberts. I forgot about them. Jake the Snake and, and DDP are also new shows this year as well. Okay. Uh, so are you, just to look like you're intentionally, you don't want to mention the non-sports ones that are coming at the moment? Oh, no, I don't, I, I don't mind. Yeah, no. Joe West uh, has just launched this year. Um, so, but we, we've got a few other ones that I don't think we're ready to announce just yet, but we're getting them, we're getting them ready. One's a true crime. So we're branching out, you know, Melissa Joan Hart is on our uh, network, uh, What Women Binge. So we've we've branched out into some other areas. You know, I feel like I've kind of checked all the boxes in the wrestling space. 
Um, and if I'm honest with you, eventually I'll, I'll probably, uh, some of those may go away because, you know, there's just so, so much time in the day. Um, uh, but, but, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Podcasts don't last forever. Uh, but the OGs, if you will, you know, Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, Eric Bischoff, man, those, those guys have been around for years and years and years. And somehow, uh, as you and I are recording, it's the 26th, around this time, the 26th or 27th every month, I get a note from the accountants of, hey, where we are. And I can't believe it that a lot of these shows are still growing. And you would feel like at some point fans would have said, okay, that's enough. But somehow we're lucky enough that wrestling fans have an insatiable appetite for more. They want to learn a little more. And uh, they keep tuning in every week. And we're so thankful for that. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think it's in the, it would be in the SI archives for Sports Illustrated archives for me. But um, if you ever went back to the first podcast I ever did with Conrad uh, to talk about his downloads for Bruce, your head will spin <laughs> as just how excited Conrad was. Like, oh yeah, we got one of our podcasts to forty thousand, fifty thousand people. It's, it's it'll never grow from this. It's incredible. Um, so. Uh, Last one for me is, you know, what you're, the reason I asked uh, to get some sort of demographics of what you're doing, Conrad, is you're really at the point where if if you were a um, another entity, let's I'll just use my expertise in sports. The reality is, like, there would be bigger, much bigger places than yours that would be knocking on your door to say, can we buy your podcast network? We, we, we want to buy your podcast network. You guys continue what you're doing and you do it under our umbrella. Um, I don't know if you want to or your desire to continue to sort of be independent and on your own, but has that thought ever crossed your mind? Because you're now really at a content place where there are definitely some major places I think that would be knocking on your door, just given how many people listen to them all. Not only has it crossed my mind, we have been approached, we have had offers, there have been discussions. There's nothing really for me to announce, you know, right here, right now, but I mean, I'm, I'm actively being pursued and recruited right now in that regard. So cross your fingers for me, sir. Makes sense. I the only thing I would say is I hope that you got, I hope if that gets, if, if someone buys you, which would be awesome. And I would congratulate you. I do hope, uh, I still hope you're a part of the on air part. Cause I, I, I've always enjoyed your work. And I think, uh, I think a lot of the secret sauce of the podcast actually is you, even though I think many people would obviously understand there's no podcast without Bruce and there's no podcast without Eric, just given that they are, uh, you know, they're on the marquee, but, uh, all right, we'll, we'll pay attention. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Feel free to uh, direct message me if, uh, if it's a name that becomes news, Conrad, always happy to break that. If, uh, you want I, to absolutely. Know. Listen, um, you know what, let me go ahead and get, <laughs> let me promise you this. If something like that happens, I'll let you break it. How's that sound? All right. Appreciate that. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Now let's get into... Um... Ric Flair's last match, and I have I I you know I talked a little bit with Connor before we went on. I told him this off the air. I'll tell him this on air. I have no idea how much he's going to kayfabe me here. So let's see how sort of let's see where he goes on this. So Rick, first of all, for those who don't know, Ric Flair is, is Conrad's father-in-law, uh, in addition to his longtime friend. Conrad's wife, Megan Flair, 
is uh, one of Rick's daughters. I think most people who are listening to this podcast know that Ashley Fleer, who is her performing name is Charlotte Flair, is obviously Ric Flair's daughter as well. She's married to Andrade. Um, Ric Flair, Conrad, your father-in-law is 73 years old. Um, if we could break kayfabe here for a second, um, what have his doctor said about just doing and performing in what's a very high-pressure, intense uh, environment, even if it's for you know 20, 25 minutes or so? Well, I mean, they encouraged him, you know, to, to listen to his body. And obviously they, they've done a, a series of tests and things like that. But he did have a heart surgery many years ago. And, uh, and, and he's, he's got, his doctor says there's enough scar tissue built up or he shouldn't be worried about it. And, you know, this would just be like a strenuous workout. And before the world knew that Ric Flair was going to wrestle one last match, he had already been training at a high level for months just because that's who he is. Ric Flair was a legendary partier. Uh, he would be known for closing the bars down and, and carrying on and getting in all kinds of alcohol-fused uh, hijinks. But then the next morning at 6 a.m., he was the first one in the gym, and he was going to do the Stairmaster for 60 minutes, and he gained a reputation for that. They even talked about it on TV, that he was a 60-minute man, not just because his wrestling matches would sometimes go, or a lot of times go. In fact, most of the time go to a 60-minute time limit. But he would also make sure that he could run that Stairmaster at a high pace for 60 minutes every single morning. Uh, and so months ago, he was back working with John Cena's uh, trainer, Rob McIntyre, down at Hard Dock South. And he was putting him through the paces in a major way. And Rick wanted to do that just to get himself in shape and see if he could do it long before there was a discussion of the match. Obviously, once there was the decision made that, hey, let's just try it and see how we feel. He felt the need to go get in the ring. And he was a little nervous. You know, this is a guy who all of his public appearances for the last five years, uh, he not only has his signature Rolex on his left wrist, on his right wrist is an Apple Watch. And the reason he does that is because he wants to monitor his health. After he had that health scare, he's very cognizant and in tune with what's going on with my body, how am I feeling, you know, Candidly, after his son Reed died, he started drinking. And as he said in our docuseries, he didn't stop for five years. But because he was self-medicating with alcohol, he wasn't listening to his body. So uh, he had a ruptured intestine and, and, and was toxic and septic and the whole deal and nearly lost his life. And so now he wants to make sure that never, ever happens again. So he has slowed down on the drinking quite a bit from where he was. But he's also very in tune with that watch. Hey, what's going on? Well, it was kind of funny to note every time he would practice with his training partner in the ring, uh, the, the phone would go off. Hey, did you fall? Uh, and so that was just the new norm for him, but he had to get out of his head. that He could do this. So once he got comfortable running the ropes and all that, I was lucky enough to be there when he demanded to be thrown off the top rope, which was a signature spot of his throughout the seventies, eighties and nineties. And I said, Rick, we're not, we're not going to do that in the match. Don't do that. Uh, and he goes, no, I'm doing it in the match. I said, well, if you're going to do it in the match, do it in the match, but don't do it now. There's no need to take such a big fall, but he had to do it. And he was concerned. Can I do it? And I think it was not physically. Can I do it? But mentally, can I do it? And he did it. And as soon as he, I mean, as soon as he landed, there was like a hush in the gym. And then he yelled F yeah. And then got up grinning, laughing. Cause he felt like, okay, I, I had built this up to where it was a big thing in my head. It's not a big thing. And I got a call maybe the next week uh, from his training partner who said, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. He just press slammed me. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know what I mean. He threw me into the ropes. I came over. 
he picked me up all the way over my head, locked his elbows out and press slammed me. And I looked down in, mis- in disbelief, like, is this really happening? This guy's 73 and he just locked out on me. And that's when we knew, as David Crockett says, he's not a 73 year old man. He's Ric Flair. And so he has been training at a high level this entire time. So hypothetically, if something were going to happen to him, and I hate to even talk in negative terms like that, but if something were going to happen, it would have already happened. Now, fans don't know that, and it comes from a good place, the concern that you see online sometimes. But the reality is, just because you haven't seen him step in the ring yet, doesn't mean it hasn't already happened. As you and I are recording now, he has spent dozens of hours in the ring already. So if something was going to happen, it would have already happened. The difference now is instead of it being recorded uh, on an iPhone or happening with the four people in, in the building, there will be, I don't know, six, seven, eight thousand people in the building screaming his name and they paid to see him do it one last time. That's going to be pretty cool. So I'm not concerned. I understand the concern comes from a good place, but his doctor says he's good. His trainer says he's good. Uh, the guy who's been the, the folks who've been helping him get ready for the in ring stuff say he's good. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun for Rick Flair's last match. Connor, one of the things about the card is that you have um, people from all these different uh, wrestling organizations, including major organizations, AEW and uh, WWE. Jeff Jarrett would be considered that. Um, what was what you have relationships? I know with a lot of these places, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were going to allow you to use their talent. So one, I guess I would ask you in sort of an abridged version, how did that happen? And two, uh, was there or is has there been a specific decision not to use Charlotte either because she doesn't want to be on it or because the WWE would not want one of its signature stars to be part of an independent uh, production? Well, let me give you a little context. Jeff Jarrett is the reason that StarCast has been on fight this entire time. Uh, I didn't know Mike Weber. Jeff Jarrett introduced me to him in 2018. We became fast friends. Uh, Mike Weber heads up the fight team over there, at least domestically. And, um, I, you know, Jeff was my business partner. So we knew before Jeff went back to work for WWE that Jeff was going to be involved in StarCast. And there was discussion would we do uh, panel shows, would we do our podcast on stage, would we do meet and greets, uh, and we even kicked around, hey, should we do like a super show? Because Jeff is an old school wrestling promoter, he's very comfortable promoting wrestling matches, and uh, he really has a passion for that, and I never, ever wanted to be a wrestling promoter. Uh, I felt like I was really comfortable in my role of, hey, let's do meet and greets and conventions, and we'll do live shows, and we'll certainly do podcasts, and you know, we'll do paywall content and all that stuff. But, man, I just don't want to have to get into the, the, the business of professional wrestling where I'm discussing and trying to tell guys who have dedicated their lives and their bodies and their, and their entire career to this. All right, well, here's what I would like for you to do. That's an uncomfortable place for me to be. I would really just rather prefer to be a fan. But Jeff was pretty adamant, that, hey, we need to run a show. And then Along the way, before we really got going and announced everything and, and all that, he uh, he went back to work for WWE. But at that point, you know, we knew that we were doing it, and it's a little easier on the front end to disclose everything you've got going on. I don't think after the fact that, that this would have been possible. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is Jeff Jarrett at the time was not a television character, 
But WWE typically does not allow television characters to appear wrestling for someone else. And why would they? So if there is an expectation for anyone listening to this, that they're going to see a Charlotte Flair cameo run in physicality. That's just unrealistic. It's not going to happen. Um, but because he works behind the scenes and because it was already kind of in place before he went back, it's just a matter of, Hey, what, what do you have going on? And you disclose it. Well, I'm doing a podcast with Conrad. We do live shows together. We have this paywall content. We do, we have YouTube stuff. We sell merch for it. And I'm going to do this convention. And it just so happens that that convention now involves a match. Now that wasn't the original plan. But as with everything else, Jeff Jarrett finds a way to look out for Jeff Jarrett. And <laughs> now he's in the main event. So here we go. Typical Jeff Jarrett. Um, okay. And the on the AEW side, are they a little – like do you, do, you, do you think they're sort of a little looser when it comes to allowing their talent elsewhere? Because as we've seen – um, their star talent has absolutely competed for other promotions. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but this is, uh, you know, I'm not a promotion. This is a one-off and there are certain talent that the, I guess have it in their deal. I don't know the particulars of that, but it does feel like, you know, you'll see certain guys do this or that, but others never nothing. But I, if I'm honest with you, this is not the story of how this match came together. is not about, Boy, Conrad has all these great relationships. No, I mean, that's not what you say. But the reality is everyone in the industry, and I mean everyone, respects Rick Claire and his contributions. M- maybe you have a complicated relationship with Rick Claire. Maybe you guys did some business together once and it didn't go well. Or maybe you don't love everything that you've ever read about Rick Claire or what have you. But when it comes time to put on a show and in between those ropes and the bell rings, uh, he is universally respected and has been for decades. So I'm, I'm proud to say that you know later this year will be his 50-year anniversary in the wrestling business. And there's no way that that the offices of these different independent organizations, whether it's New Japan or AAA or Impact or MLW or AEW, don't know, love, and respect all that Rick did. And I think if I tried to put this sort of thing together for almost anyone else, I would have been... Um, really fighting uphill but because it was rick it just made it a little easier then it became a matter of who and what and how so we just had to negotiate some of the particulars of course it just makes sense that he would want to be involved with his son-in-law who happens to work for AEW, uh and and that probably wasn't that difficult and since it's under the banner of jim crockett promotions tony shivani was kind of the voice of that and he too has a podcast with me uh so does arn anderson uh, and, and then it makes sense, I guess, that if Arn's going to be there, well, his son should be there. And and then obviously Jay Lethal has been the guy or was the guy before falling out that was helping Rick get ready for his last match. So with that in mind, it, I didn't feel like that was a huge ask uh, to say, hey, can these folks who are either really close and in business with me or actually related to Rick or, as the world knows, has been helping Rick get ready for his last match in Jay Lethal. That was something that Tony Khan was, was excited to endorse and support because he knows, you know, at the end of the day, I I've been an AEW advocate, you know, when, when AEW was first created and formed in a parking lot in Jacksonville, uh, Jim Ross was not yet with the company. He still technically worked for WWE. So Tony Khan asked me to come do that. And when they announced their first pay-per-view, sort of the same thing, he asked me to come out and, sort of host that. So I've been friendly with Tony for many years. 
And, you know, this sounds weird, but I don't typically ask for a lot of favors. So and I said, hey, hypothetically, what if that coupled with the respect that everyone has, including Tony, because Tony's become friends with Rick over the years, it was sort of a no-brainer. So it seems like it was this impossible task to put together, but I don't mind sharing with you here. It really wasn't that hard because it's Rick. I appreciate that. Uh, Tony actually uh, was a guest not too long ago on this podcast, uh, and that was an interesting uh, conversation we had. All right. um, One question for you on the promotion of this. Uh, I, as I told you off air, I I have a love of the promotion. I I think you, um, you and your group have really like done high level um, documentary style stuff, uh, storyline style stuff shoot video style stuff. This has included on your regular podcast, Conrad, blurring the lines between doing a regular Jeff Jarrett, uh, we'll use him as, for instance, podcast, and then Jeff Jarrett, in my words, in sort of storyline to promote this match. Now, I'm, you know, we'll see how much you kayfabe me here if you sort of go off, but it's interesting if I can just ask you honestly. Jeff Jarrett is a 30-year performer. Karen Jarrett's a performer. These, you know, Flair is a performer. These guys have done promos their whole life. Being in storyline or character is who they are. It is nothing to them. I'm I'm always amazed. I've had Paul Heyman on this podcast a million times. I am blown away just by how good a performers all of these people are. To be blunt, you are not a performer. You've become a great podcast host, but you've never been a professional wrestling character. But you within but you within this have had to do a little bit of um, storyline selling. How, if you, if I can ask you to, to not kayfabe me here, how has that been? Because I think you've done a great job, but that's not, you know, that's you're a mortgage broker. You're, you, you, have, you haven't done promos. You haven't done shoot promos for the last 20 years. But in the last couple of weeks, you've had to do this, and it's been interesting to me to listen to. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um and I don't want to disappoint you here, but I want to say two things. One, uh, I'm a salesperson. I've been in sales for 21 years. And, you know, uh, the perception of a salesperson is that you memorize these scripts and then you're pushy and you're persistent and you try to hard close people and twist their arm and beat them down and convince them to see things the way you see them. I don't necessarily believe in that. I think that a great salesperson uh, offers solutions and, and, you know, if I'm solving problems, then I can make a sale. But that really requires that you're good at listening and and responding and reacting. And that's kind of why I think I've been okay as a podcaster is I've, I've become a good conversationalist uh, through my sales career. So that I had going in, but, and I, and I know you're going to be annoyed with this, but I swear to you, Jeff Jarrett took it too far. Uh, I, I alluded to that because there's terms you don't use in wrestling um, that you're not supposed to, but I said there's magic in wrestling. And when it comes to, you know, how wrestlers bleed, or as they say, get color, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Rick was prepared to do that for the story we were trying to tell. It was not necessary because Jeff Jarrett took his wife's high heel shoe and with the corner of her shoe, hit my father-in-law in the temple. I mean, let's call it what it is. He stabbed him in the head, and it was the bloodiest, gruesomest, scariest thing I've ever seen in person, not regarding wrestling, 
And when the unedited cut comes out, you will see that someone else there, for lack of a better word, is scarred for life. They refuse to watch it to this day. Uh, there was sheer panic because all of a sudden it turned very, very real. And this is not me selling a pay-per-view. I know a lot of people who will listen to this don't even care about wrestling and won't, li- won't order the pay-per-view at all. But he legitimately took a high heel shoe and hit Ric Flair in the head with it. And in wrestling, there's a term they use for that. And Richard, you know where I'm going. It's called a hard way. And so Rick came up on his knees, covered in blood that was pouring out of the side of his head and yelled, it's a hard way, guys. It's a hard way. I was not there. I did not see this. Uh, I legitimately had planned to be on the uh, at the podium speaking at the press conference earlier in the day and all that. But I got horribly sick. And through the process of that, they brought me. This is, boy, an overshare, but here's the real story. Sugar-free cough drops. I didn't know that. I ordered cough drops on Instacart. It gets delivered to my house. It's one of those deals where, or my, my rental house, it's one of those deals where, you know, if they don't have what you order, they just replace it with something. Well, I didn't look at the bag. It was sugar-free. Well, whatever is in that sugar-free cough drop required me to go to the bathroom every few minutes. And I trusted something I shouldn't have trusted. And, oh, my God, I'm out of town. And I have had an accident in public here. So I'm out of there. So I have no context of any of this until I see the unedited video. And then I realize, wait a minute, I'm not watching a wrestling angle. I'm watching a real deal assault. Now, Rick, understanding at the end of the day, we were trying to tell a story, doesn't pursue it. But Jeff Jarrett, I swear to you, Richard, crossed the line because all the precautions were taken for some movie magic, but we never even got to do it. And which is why in episode three, if you saw, the document, the, the editor slowed it down so you could actually see the, the point of puncture, the point of attack. Jeff Jarrett legitimately, as they say in wrestling, quote unquote, went into business for himself and stabbed my father-in-law in the head. Now, now, why would he do that? Sure, you could say, well, he wants to make it look good. Well, he has pride in his work. He didn't do that in Memphis. He didn't do that in WCW. He didn't do that in TNA. He did it because he saw all of the spotlight, all of the attention that this event was getting. And he, being the ultimate opportunist, saw an opportunity to make it all about him. And so now the story, and and here's what I hate about it. He was right. It worked. (coughs) Because if you saw episode three, very little Rick in that episode. A lot of Jeff. And that was by design. And I didn't see that going in. And when I first... I told some people within the industry, mutual friends of ours, that I was launching a Jeff Jarrett podcast. One of our personal friends that we've hung out with together in real life said, you got to watch that guy. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, good luck. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, it's all about Jeff. Just CYA. And to this, and up till that parking lot situation, I never saw it. We've done a lot of projects together. He helped me get my first action figure. He put me in a video game for the first time. He's been a great partner to me. We've worked on a lot of other stuff that the world hasn't even seen yet, but they're going to. I mean, really a good friend of mine. But when I saw what he did, I realized that's what they were talking about. That's the dark side of Jeff Jarrett because he knew what the plan was. And he went off script and he went into business for himself and all the other cliches that they say in wrestling. 
and he legitimately stabbed my father-in-law in the head with a high heel shoe. And it was so shocking that other professionals, other people who know the deal and have dedicated their whole life to professional wrestling wanted nothing to do with it. And that's the reality of what happened. And now granted, everybody is going to be in the ring and they're going to have a real deal wrestling match in a main event that is worthy of Ric Flair's last match this Sunday on pay-per-view. But I can't promise you that as you, you know where I'm going with this, in wrestling, there's a thing where if I punch you maybe a little too hard, you feel like you have to punch me a little hard back. And that's called a receipt. Well, Andrade, the real life Manny, has a whole receipt book ready and he's going to dole them out one after another this Sunday. Conrad, you are unbelievable. Let me just tell the audience there, Conrad, in wrestling parlance, he no-sells my question big time. Then he turns my question into a shoot promo for his card. And in honor of him doing a great job on that, I'll once again mention Ric Flair's last match featuring 11 matches from promotions around the globe airing Sunday. July 31st from Nashville. All right, Conrad, final four. That was uh, well done by you. And I knew that's what you were going to do. All right, I want to ask you before we get out of here about um, about Vince and also in relation to uh, Bruce uh, because this is sort of a um, – uh, this impacts you. And I recognize and understand that um, you have a lot of relationships here when you answer this question. So I, I respect that and I – you know, I want you to sort of be as comfortable as you as as you will be on answering these kind of questions. You are one of the biggest wrestling fans in the United States, at least that I know of. You have a ton of relationships with WWE people, including Bruce Pritchard, who's your podcast partner. Your sister-in-law, as I mentioned before, Ashley Fleer, Charlotte Flair. Wrestling's giving you so much. So this is not black and white for you when it comes to Vince McMahon. Um, what he's given all of us, obviously, has been incredible amounts of content and entertainment at the same time, at least from my perspective, these are really serious and disturbing allegations, and it muddies up the water for sort of how I feel about Vince. Uh, It doesn't mean you feel the same way I do, but I did want to ask you, um, as we're in the middle of this, how how are you viewing Vince McMahon right now after the past week? Well, I I mean, listen, it's hard for me to reconcile because I really have uh, mixed emotions. On the one hand, I want to... I want to be the little kid in me. I mean, like the reason I'm doing all of this stuff in wrestling is because in, in 1988, uh, I guess it was the summer of 88. I went, went to visit my grandfather with my parents. And back then, what did you do? Well, you took the family down to the video store. You rented some VHSs. You plopped the little Rugrats in front of the TV. And that became, for lack of a better word, your babysitter. And they rented me WrestleMania four, the double tape VHS thinking, Oh, two tapes. This will keep that little kid busy. And I fell in love with what I saw. I fell in love with Hulk Hogan and the macho man and, and demolition and these larger than life comic book characters. I absolutely loved it. And I will be a wrestling fan forever because of Hulk Hogan and and macho man and, and Vince McMahon. And so I've sort of grown through my fandom knowing that this is, for lack of a better word, our Walt Disney. Uh, Now, does that mean I've always loved everything that Vince McMahon put on TV? Of course not. Uh, Has my, my fan, my fandom sort of ebbed and flowed over the years? Absolutely. But I also got to know the guy behind the guy, or so I thought, from my conversations with Bruce Pritchard all these years and other people who worked with him, Eric Bischoff and what have you. 
And then I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to have several conversations with Vince over the years, some just personal and friendly and others about the possibility of doing some business together. And I did have a show on his WWE network and, you know, I've just, I've always been a fan and, and somehow attached to it. But I think it goes without saying we, nobody listening to this or participating in this space, if, if real abuse has been happening, nobody wants that to continue. Nobody wants bad things. Like, that's just not in our DNA. We want the best for everybody and for everyone, be included. But it's hard to reconcile all of this and feel good about it. And so I don't know all the details. I know enough to be disappointed and wish that some of this stuff hadn't happened. But I still don't know how to feel about where we are right now. Uh, I don't know what WWE or professional wrestling look like without Vince McMahon. I've never known it without him. And I don't know how to reconcile being thankful and appreciative for all that he brought to my fandom and the opportunities he create for, created for some of our friends, but also be disappointed in personal behavior. And I think it's a reminder to me that not everybody's all good or all bad. And that goes for Ric Flair, because people have had a complicated relationship with Rick for a long time as well. And... I guess I've maybe had a crash course in that and I've been able to separate the person from the behavior. And I know that some folks would argue that that's not healthy or that's not good, but I can also say here in a loud and clear voice, that I haven't always been perfect. Boy, there's a few things I wish I could do over again. And I'm not coming to this saying, Oh, it's okay. Vince did bad stuff personally because he created Hulk Hogan. No, I'm not saying that. I am just saying, I don't, I don't think everything in life is totally black or white. I don't think anyone is, is a hundred percent great or a hundred percent bad. I know that what he's done is, has made a, an impact on my life and a lot of other people's lives in a positive way. And it's disappointing to hear that there are apparently several folks who have a different experience with him, but I hope that this does not become his legacy. Uh, I, I'm not saying that we excuse it. I, I just don't, I don't like when people say, you know, this person's canceled. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't be canceled. I'm just saying I don't think a few bad decisions negates everything else that you ever did positive in your life. I've got some really great close personal friends who have had a DUI. And boy, that's disappointing. You know, you just you don't want to see people do that. You know you're you're putting people's lives at risk and you're making bad choices and and thankfully nothing horrible happened, but it doesn't mean it couldn't have. And so I, I've tried to really struggle this past week with how to, how do I reconcile that nobody's all good and nobody's all bad. It's all just sort of somewhere in the middle. And how do I communicate that even on a program like this without sounding like I'm saying everything that Vince did was okay because it wasn't okay. But I, I don't know how to have that conversation without feeling like we're going to try to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. I don't want anyone to, I don't want anyone to hurt, I guess is what I'm, what I'm getting to. I was just going to say, listen, I, and I appreciate you answering that because you are in a different situation than others. Your sister-in-law is a mega performer for that company. You have close friends who are part of WWE management. So I think it's – and I appreciate you answering, but you're in a unique situation. I think to me the one thing, I just sort of speak for myself, is I don't think people should sort of tiptoe around the sexual harassment allegations. I don't think you should be eulogized. I think – 
the reporting and the Wall Street Journal's done phenomenal reporting should continue to come and Vince McMahon should be presented in full. Um, the good, which obviously there's a lot of in terms of content, and the not so good, which we're, um, which we are seeing now. Um, let me let, let me say this: maybe for because me. based oh, on your answer, Please. I feel like yeah, I didn't yeah. communicate well. I hope Vince McMahon is held to account. I think when people do bad things, that that they should be held accountable. I, I, I've I've unfortunately made mistakes in my life, and I was held accountable. And I think that Vince McMahon should be held accountable. I, but what I am saying is. Uh, look, this is a terrible example, but Michael Vick once upon a time was one of the most dynamic football players the world ever knew. And then we found out in his real life, boy, he was doing some pretty rotten stuff. He was held to account. He paid his debt to society. And I, for one, maybe this is the wrong thing to say, but I choose to forgive, but not forget. I'll never forget those stories. I got two little dogs running around my house that snuggle with me and go to bed and sleep in my bed every single night. Trainers tell you don't humanize your dogs. I don't just love on my dogs. I give my dogs hugs and kisses. I'm a dog lover. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around. I mean, whenever I used to play Madden, man, I always had to play with Michael Vick because it was just fun. And if he was on the field, it was electric. But how do you reconcile that? I was disappointed, but I was glad he was held accountable. But I was also willing to say, okay, he's been held to account. This is fair. He's not just a superstar player. He's also a real guy who made some mistakes, but he paid his debt to society and he should be afforded the opportunity to try to be better. And I guess that's what I'm look, I'm trying to say and communicate and maybe doing a poor job of it. But if he's held accountable and whatever that looks like, because that's not for me to decide, but once he's held accountable and it feels as if we're headed in that direction. I mean, I don't think you and I uh, a year ago would have ever had a conversation where you ever considered this would even be possible that there's a WWE without Vince McMahon. So it feels like that process has already started. And I'm not saying don't kick him when he's down or any of that. No, no, let's play it all the way out. But when it's all said and done, it sure would be a shame to me if the, the headline, like God forbid, let's say something happened to Vince and he passed away. If the headline was serial abuser Vince McMahon, well, boy, that sucks. I, I, I hope he, I hope he's held to, to account and we can reconcile again. It's not all good. It's not all bad. Let's get the full picture. Uh, but just like Michael Vick before him, I hope that whatever this circumstance is, he's held to account and and he finds some sort of peace and contentment in his life. And more importantly, the folks he affected, they find peace and contentment in theirs. I appreciate that clarification. Two last ones. Uh, one, Conrad, as a uh, as a business person and a very successful one, um, you've seen since the uh, WWE announcement that Vince is stepping down, the stock price has gone way up. Uh, from my, again, I don't come, I don't work for CNBC, I don't cover the market, but in reading about all this, the the reasoning from business people seems to believe that Vince leaving presents a more likely scenario that the WWE will ultimately sell. Um, I have no inside information on that. I imagine you don't as well. But if you could put your business hat on for the moment, do you expect the WWE in the next couple of years to sell, or would, or would, if you had to guess, would you anticipate that the um, the company continues to run in the hands of uh, Stephanie and Paul Levesque and and sort of maintains uh, its own uh, independence as a public company? I think there's been a musical chairs uh, situation going on since the beginning of COVID. And I think that musical chairs 
circumstance will continue. I don't know that all the information's out. I don't have any inside information. It just feels like every time you turn around, there's something new happening. Uh, so I just think that, you know, often when change happens, it happens quickly. I mean, we just saw, as you and I are recording this, last Friday it was announced in the morning that uh, Triple H was now going to be the head of talent relations. And in late afternoon, it was announced that Vince McMahon was gone. And then fast forward, and the very next business day, Triple H is now head of creative too. Things are changing very, very quickly. This is a guy who just a few months ago uh, was officially retired and announced his retirement around WrestleMania. And you fast forward, you know, even if uh, I guess maybe six weeks ago, they announced he's coming back to NXT. So Triple H in just the last two months has been announced as running three different departments. And I, I just don't know that that's sustainable uh, for the long haul. And I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying it shows you the winds of change are upon us. So I think it's going to be a company in flux for a little while. But I do think this was motivating, uh, giving the news that we heard, you know, six or eight weeks ago or whenever the announcement about Vince was first made that, you know, he was uh, going to be stepping down as CEO or, or whatever. I do think that ever since then, there's been some, I don't know, uh, What's going to happen next? And now that there's seemingly some finality, that we have a decision, that, that this investigation, we, we've come to a head, and I don't know all the details of all that, but it just felt like we were sort of waiting on the other shoe to drop, and now it feels like it has. So I wasn't necessarily surprised that the stock went up. Uh, as you and I are talking, it's down today, but it's still up like 7% or something over the last week. So clearly they see it as a positive, but I felt like, Again, I thought me and you talked about this off air once before. As soon as Nick Khan came into the fold, I just assumed, well, he's going to help get this thing ready for a sale. This is a guy who wasn't involved in the wrestling business a handful of years ago, and it's now the co-CEO of the biggest wrestling company of all time. I don't know how enough people aren't talking about the, the, the meteoric rise of Nick Khan, and it didn't necessarily happen for any other reason than that dude knows how to make money. He knows how to make deals. He's a deal maker. And he helped bring this company a great deal with USA and then a phenomenal deal with Fox. And those were landmark moments for this company. And it would not surprise me if he were now with maybe perhaps uh, some of the obstacles removed, he could continue to do that in a bigger, more grandiose fashion. And I don't know any, any inside information whatsoever, but I would not be surprised if WWE sold this year, not in a few years, but as we're talking, it's the end of July. I think it's realistic they could make an announcement by the end of the year. It would certainly not surprise me if he went and landed brand new, incredible new uh, television rights deals. And the perceived value of this, especially from an investor standpoint, was at an all-time high. Th that all makes total logical sense to me. And if and a lot of people said, oh, WWE would never sell as long as Vince is here. As long as Vince is alive, that's the way it was usually phrased. Not as long as he was here, but as long as he was alive. Well, now we know it's not a matter of life or death. Vince just isn't here now. He's gone. That does make it very, I don't know, possible in my mind as a wrestling fan to think, okay, well, maybe they will sell. And I think it'll happen sooner rather than later. But I think a lot of that just hinges on, hey, what value can Nick Khan bring to this thing? And that's not to discount the contributions of, of, of Stephanie or Triple H or Bruce or Kevin Dunn or any of those other folks who are running the show. I just know he's kind of the deal maker in that circle. So it feels like to me, uh, he would be looking to see, Hey, how can I add as much value to this as I can as quick as I can? And then let's see what's possible, at least entertain it. 
And and I think there's a handful of companies, and you and I can probably name them, that would think, hey, you know what? This would look really cool on our side of the ledger. So I'm crossing my fingers. That's going to be a good thing for WWE because I'm a longtime wrestling fan, but it's hard for me to imagine what it looks like without Vince. So I guess I'll just wait and see. Yeah, I think that's a really, I think your take is really smart. Again, as someone who's written about Khan, he used to be in my world, as you know, when he was at CAA negotiating deals with a lot of top broad, sports broadcasting talent. Um, uh, I think that's an interesting take. And I think the company is very, will look very different to the Comcast of the world and places like that in a post Vince universe, particularly in a post verse, uh, post Vince universe once this sort of stuff has been. Uh, aired out as it is now. Okay, the last question for you, and it involves Bruce. Um, you know, I, um, I, I will. I mean, I think you obviously will confirm this. It's just, it's, it's truth. Um, I was there pretty much at the beginning when something to wrestle with started. I remember hearing it for the first time, and I was like, I've never heard anything like this. This is just like this is a different podcast that not just combines nostalgia, but it's like a guy who I'd never heard of who was inside the room and is telling me things about the business that like was mind blowing. I just had never heard that before. There'd never been a podcast like that. And I remember um, it was great to meet you guys back in 2017 for whatever it was worth. We gave you, you know, Sports Illustrated's podcast of the year. I mean, you know, that and a dollar fifty, Connor, I'll get you on the New York City subway. But it was great to be, uh, it was great to sort of be there at the beginning. And I mean, I remember the Piper show that you did is one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. So here's the, I'm, I'm pre, I'm, I'm sort of working you here for a certain reason. I still think the show's good, but I think you would acknowledge, and I think we have talked about this. It, it became a very different show when Bruce went back to WWE and for obviously understandable reasons, he's now working with, you, you can't work on a day-to-day basis with people and then talk about them sort of in a certain way on a nostalgia podcast, and your feelings about them are different given you now work for them, where before maybe you could be more honest because they had fired you. So I'm curious as if, I, I mean, you I don't know what Bruce is going to do. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But do you think that it's possible that, the, that something to wrestle with could theoretically be a different podcast six months, one year from now, because Bruce Bruce is not tethered on a day to day basis with Vince, because that would be my prediction. But that's a prediction just based on instinct, not based on any knowledge. How, how would you see that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the podcast looks a whole lot different when Vince or when Bruce's um, time with WWE is finished. But I don't know when that will be. But I, I, I totally, I mean, I mean, totally agree uh, that the show has. Uh, has changed. I mean, it had to change. Uh, as you said, it's, it's hard to, to sort of wear both hats. And I, I think a hundred percent that the show sort of post Bruce's WWE uh, run here will not only be a different show, but I would go so far as to say it'll be bigger and better than ever, dude. Like this run, I mean, just, I mean, first of all, to come I, back I agree. and see the company from the inside and be a part of it uh, before COVID before the Fox deal, the transition with the Fox deal, and then the idea that Paul's going to run Raw and Bischoff's going to run SmackDown and Bischoff comes back in. It's a failed experiment. Four months later, it's over. Like, it just feels as if, boy, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And then the pandemic happens. And then, you know, we really get cranked up with all of this AEW war stuff, uh, whatever silly nonsense fans make of that. And then now the layoffs, 
and the reorganization with George leaving and, and, and there's just a lot of stuff to talk about behind the scenes on camera. I mean, look at what happened with the fiend and, and all uh, how that all evolved. I mean, all that happened on, on Bruce's watch, the undertaker having his last match and, and then all this Vince stuff, my goodness, like there's going to be uh, a, a resurgence of something to wrestle, but, I don't know that we'll even pretend that that's possible until his time with WWE is is finished. Conrad, listen, man, you uh, you gave me a lot of time on probably one of the busiest weeks of your life in the last uh, twenty years, and I, I I can't I can't thank you enough. Let's uh, let's give the promotion uh, uh, one more big run here. Ric Flair's last match, uh, featuring eleven matches from promotions around the globe, uh, will air Sunday, July thirty first, from the fairgrounds. In Nashville, Tennessee, the show's main event features Ric Flair, last match ever, uh, and his son-in-law, the wrestler Andrade, taking on AEW star Jay Lethal, and uh, oh yeah, he's back, the WWE Hall of Famer, the WWE executive, the man who always finds uh, another life, Jeff Jarrett. Um, the card is really, really impressive, and in the U.S., you can watch it on pay-per-view, Fight TV, globally, Fight TV. StarCast 5 also exists this week in Nashville. There's still tickets available for that. That's the 29th, 30th, and 31st. And again, if you're a wrestling fan, just look at all the different panels. Uh, like the panels alone to me would be like just like awesome enough just to listen to and uh, and to hear what people have to say from Bret Hart to Matt Hardy. Our buddy Renee Paquette is there, so that'll be really, really cool. And uh, and I have no doubt it'll be very successful. Listen, Conrad, uh, you know, as the empire grows... I'm I'm glad that you still come on the small podcast here, and uh, and and uh, and and you know, greet us with your with your presence. But uh, have a great week, man. Try I know it's gonna be hard. Try to get some sleep. You got a busy ass fucking Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I'm ta- I'm taping this with you earlier in the week. Make sure you get uh, a little bit of sleep before uh, you head to Nashville. And uh, and best of luck with everything. And uh, and and a really sincere congrats on on all your success. I'm very happy for you. I greatly appreciate it, man. It's such an honor to be on your show. Uh, my phone lights up every time I'm on your show. Shout out to Dave Green and Cole Kublik, day one listeners for you. They follow everything you do, and uh, they j- it puts a huge smile on their face, just the idea that you even know my name. So thank you for uh, allowing me the opportunity to come on and plug com. Conrad Thompson, everyone. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Conrad Thompson. Um, I know that not everybody is a wrestling fan who listens to this, but uh, Conrad, to me, is sort of a little bit different just in that he's built a podcasting business, and I have great admiration for what he's done. Um, you know, I've professionally now known him for a long time, and uh, it was cool to be there at the beginning and really interesting to see how his businesses have morphed. Previous podcast this week before that, A Reckoning for Hockey Canada, a conversation with the athletics Katie Strang, Dan Robeson, and Ian Mendez on the allegations of sexual assault involving Hockey Canada. Good morning, football host Jamie Erdo was uh, a guest last week and uh, had a great conversation with her about um, morphing from the sidelines to good morning football and just and really just very honest by her, just sort of what it was like uh, to go through her pregnancies on air when she was in, uh, when she was at uh, CBS doing the SEC. A uh, couple of uh, roundtables we've had with Chad Finn and Austin Carp, Tom Rinaldi came on not too long ago to talk about his podcast on Lyman Bostock 
Jr., Jeremy Schapp, uh, Russell Danello was on for their really, really great doc on uh, Barry Bremen. Monica McNutt was a guest on this podcast not too long ago. TJ Quinn, ESPN Chairman Jimmy Pitaro. Um, if you like these podcasts, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. Uh, again, that's how this podcast continues. It is it is separate from the athletic, so I'm not, not part of any ecosystem when it comes to the uh, to to this podcast. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe like you know, UFC or UCLA, when they'll eventually you know head into a conference. But at the moment, uh, not doing that at the moment. And as always, I appreciate all the support. Thanks, Cadence Thirteen, for uh, for there for their uh, support production capabilities thanks as always patrick antonetti and thank you for listening we'll see you soon on the sports media podcast